0: So on the first slide, you'll see I've titled this Entrepreneurship as a Christian, Entrepreneurship as a Christian. Um, Thank you. Um, So a a bit of brief biography about myself for those who either are new or don't know this. Um, I grew up in a bivocational pastor's home, so my dad is a pastor. Also, both of my grandfathers were pastors, and all of my uncles are either pastors or missionaries, except for one who is an accountant. And uh, my parents, because my dad is a bivocational pastor, my parents were entrepreneurs, meaning they had their own businesses, they uh, were self-employed. I've been working for family businesses since I was old enough to stick stamps on envelopes, and that is a very low age. So, you can put a stamp on an envelope, uh, definitely in the single digits, um, possibly even the low single digits. So, uh, f- every every um, day, about 3 p.m., all the kids gather around the table and start putting stamps on envelopes because we got to send out the orders. Uh, so, that was my early introduction to entrepreneurship. I started investing in real estate as a teenager and I received a small inheritance from my grandmother. And when I say small inheritance, I mean like if you save four of your stimulus checks and add them together, that's what I mean by small. I don't mean small as in Donald Trump received a small inheritance from, not not like that. I mean like literally a small amount of money. Um, my siblings and I pooled, pooled our checks together and bought, not our checks, but like the inheritances and uh, bought a cheap house because you could do that back in the day. Uh, we bought and sold that that house and other houses repeatedly um, as far as personal strengths because you that's what we're gonna talk about later on um, personally at times keyword at times especially for those who know me uh, at times I can be very good at reading people sometimes I'm not sometimes I you know I just Especially with the whole 1 Corinthians 13. Love thinks no evil. So so I'll give people the benefit of the doubt when I maybe shouldn't. But at times, I can be very good at reading people and situations as well as evaluating risk. For example, if you watch me play Secret Hitler... You'll know everything you need to know about how I do business. In other words, I'm a terrible liar, but I can usually spot a liar or spot a plot, even if I can't explain exactly all the connections, but I can tell that something's up here, and this person and that person and that person are in cahoots, and it's bad news for us. But if I'm on the other side, I'm supposed to, to be the team that's lying. It's, it's not going to go super well. Um. Now as far as my personal career goes, if you want to call it that, I started two churches with minimal quote seed money, which is the language that they use in church planting. Um generally in Manhattan, the standard seed money for planting a church is $250,000 per year for a 3-year grant. So if you're going to plant with the main organizations like city to city, if you get approved, if you go through, you're going to be walking out the front door with this grant, and that's your seed money, that's your funding that you receive from them. It might be a loan that you don't necessarily have to pay back or just a straight up grant, but that's, that's the dollar amount that the that 90%, I don't know, the majority of church planners are working with here in Manhattan. So think of that as three quarters of a million dollars. This is what guys were getting when I started my previous church, so two thousand and seventeen that 's the dollar amount that people were starting with. Um, there is another group beyond city to city there 's another group called um, Orchard group that their their aim is to plant mega churches so they want they design the whole thing around this idea we 're going to plant a mega church and we 're going to start it big on day one there 's going to be three hundred people there and it 's going to go up from there They have a Slightly different model, but a lot of similarities to the previous one I just mentioned. And they will typically give you a million dollars to start with. Um, but they only select three or four church planners per year nationwide. So it's like a bachelor style program where you've got all these guys vying for, or girls, or, well, bachelorette, I guess. Um, you've got all these guys that are trying to get chosen and they're they're doing this like weekend getaway thing where they have to go and like prove themselves as a entrepreneurial church planner and you're taking a ton of tests and these evaluations and assessments and uh, only the 3 or 4 will will be chosen only 3 or 4 will get the rose or whatever it is they hand them in these game shows so that was That was the norm four years ago. It's still the norm today. That was what people were telling me. Oh, Andy, you got to go with Orchard Group because they're the best. They fund you the most. And there's no strings attached. You can do whatever you want with the money. You can plant it in, uh, you you can be a Baptist church or a Presbyterian church, a charismatic church. You can do membership or no membership. You can, like, it's very open-ended in its ecclesiology. Now, that is not the route we took Neither of those routes were the the route we took. In contrast to that, I had a sending church. And my sending church put about $40,000 into our church plant. And that was primarily in the form of paying the rent. So if you live in Manhattan, if you live in Midtown, if you live around here and you've ever tried to get an apartment, you'll understand. At the time, apartments required first month, last month, security deposit, and broker fee. So basically, you're looking at four months' rent, to get in. Which, practically speaking, that looked like a $20,000 check, cash. It took that to get into a two-bedroom apartment where my brother and I would live and plant the church. So we started the church in that apartment, in that living room, and that was the money needed up front. That was the seed money. So think of $20,000 versus $250,000. Beyond that, though, we lived on a shoestring budget, but God sustained us. Um, Now... Bringing us to today, a handful of families from our former church uh, would become the core for starting this church, Providence, that started a year ago, and here we are today. We've gone from about 25 people to about 60 people during that time. Now, you might be asking, you're like, wow, Andy, isn't a church just like a spiritual thing? Yes, a church is a spiritual thing, but it's also a legal corporation. Try planting a church in New York without legally incorporating You're not going to be able to rent a space. You're not going to be able to, in order to rent a space, you have to get insurance. You can't get insurance unless you're incorporated. You can't open a bank account unless you're incorporated. Like all these things tie together. So it is a legal entity that has its own tax ID number. It also involves setting up bank accounts and a variety of organizational structures, legal documents, plans for growth, and accounting for people moving away, uh, accounting for facilities, for insurance, for losing your facility, for unemployed members, or People who don't give, but they take space, which ordinarily costs money to offer. So you have to factor all these things in because it costs a certain amount of dollars per chair to have church. So you think about all all of these things. Pastoring or church planning, as we'll talk about it, generally requires a jack-of-all-trades type of willingness now, I use the word willingness rather than skill set because, really, it's much more about your willingness than about your ability. It's about showing up and doing what has to be done. Um, it's saying yes and following through on the yes. Now, beyond these more recent things, we're still talking about background, which you'll understand in a moment, Um Beyond these things, we've also invested in real estate and then in younger years work for family business, including helping set up the most recent one, which is a a fabric company. So I've had a lot of different experiences with a lot of different types of entrepreneurship. Now, my very first one, which I think you'll get a kick out of this, when I was a child, I printed up flyers for a thing called Handy Andy's Lawn Service, and I cut my neighbor's grass. That was it was a very simple business model. Now as I think back on it, I wonder like, why I didn't do more? Like I'm sure if I would have got knocked on every neighbor's door, people would have hired me just for kicks. Like they would have thought, oh, this is hilarious. Let me have this kid rake my lawn. But I didn't. I only had a couple of a couple of clients. Anyway, that's bio and background material. So let's get started. Obviously, as Mark says in his talks on this. I am not a financial advisor, so do not take the things I'm saying as financial advisory. Just hear them for what they're worth. Now, we have, let's see, first off, we have foundational principles, which we'll tie into the slides. So, our first one is the biblical command to work. So, we'll have three of these. The first is the, you leave it on this slide, the command to work, the command to provide for your family, and then number three, we live in New York. So, that's sort of the elephant in the room that connects to those previous two. Uh, Because we live in New York, it's very expensive here. You need to think proactively about how to provide for yourself, your family, and your church if any of these things are going to exist. If you're going to exist, if your family's going to exist, if your church is going to exist, you have to think proactively about all of this stuff. So, uh, we have the biblical command to work, 1 Thessalonians 4.11. It says, aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you. And then 2 Thessalonians 3.10, which says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So the the concept of working, the command to work is a... Basic biblical principle, it is not a product of the fall. It predates the fall. God created us to work, and we are supposed to work. To not work is to be in disobedience to God. Now, the next slide, which says the biblical command to provide for your family, First Timothy 5.8 says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The idea of the welfare state is an unbiblical idea. It is not the government's job to provide for you. And it is only the church's job to provide for you in very rare circumstances. Um, I hear a lot of very simplistic thinking about this sort of thing, um, especially over the last year where people would say, oh no, welfare is not the, the government's job, it's the church's job. And I'd say, no, it's not. It's the family's job. It's the family's job to provide for the family. If you're unemployed, you need to get employed. (laughs) But while you're unemployed, it's not other people's responsibility to pay your bills. It's your family's responsibility to cover for you. But fortunately or unfortunately, they know you. They have a relationship with you. And they know when you're slacking versus when you're being real about this. And when you're actually trying to provide or not trying to provide. This is why... A lot of times, people um, move out, run away from home, leave their spouses, things like that, because their family can see through their lies and their plots, and then the people will go and then pray on the church and try and get the church to pick up for their slack where they should be providing for themselves or at least their families, but then they go into the church to try and take advantage of people who are um, too naïve. So think with me about 1 Timothy 5, 9 through 16. It says, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than, or older than, 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of saints, has cared for the afflicted, has devoted herself to every good work, but... "'Refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not say. So I would have the younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander.' For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them, that the church would not be burdened, so that they may care for those who are truly widows. Now, this is just basic scripture. I didn't interpret that, I just read it. Um, I have never, I've been in probably 10 different churches in my life. Um, Like there's the one I grew up in, there's a couple different college churches, uh, a couple different seminary churches, and I've worked for like four churches in the last eight to 10 years. Um, So I've I've been in a lot of different types of churches, but I've never been in one that had a program like this where if a widow lady came up to them and said, hey, I need help. If they said, okay, well, let's look at first Timothy and see if you qualify for our program. Never seen that, never heard of it. Well, the reality is there are some people who qualify and there are people who don't qualify within the church for these, like this enrollment program where you're basically like on the church payroll. But the thing is, if you read it carefully, you'll realize that this type of person is extremely rare. So it says the wife of one husband having a reputation for good works, brought up children Shown hospitality, has washed the feet of saints, has cared for the afflicted, has devoted... Now, some types of those characteristics are, in fact, very common. Like, there's lots of nice, wonderful older ladies in churches all across the country who have served in all of those ways. But here's the thing. They not only brought up children, but their children are still alive. And their children are the ones who are obligated to care for them. But in this scenario, you have a woman who is to be enrolled in this program is one who was married and now widowed. She raised children and those children are like dead or something. Those children are not able to provide for her. So that's what makes this a, a particularly interesting situation. The, the idea is that the church is to be, is, is not to be burdened, but they are to care for those who are truly widows, or as the King James would say, widows indeed. So there are widows who qualify who have genuine true needs, I'm thinking too of like, there are widows who are so old that their kids have died of old age. Like imagine a 95-year-old lady whose kids are in their 60s and her son has a heart attack and then, you know, those types of things happen. Those are the types of women that the church is commanded to care for. But it's not just this blanket statement to provide for everyone. On our third slide, the next slide, um, you need to think about the reality that New York is the most uh, is is a most expensive place to be, and it is also the most opportunistic place you could possibly be. If you, your family, and your church are going to exist in New York City, it's going to require careful thought, planning, and actions. So we have to face the reality: the cost of living is crazy high. But at the same time, the standard of living in New York is much lower than the rest of the country because the cost of living is much higher here than the rest of the country. So you take your salary, let's call it $50,000 or $100,000 or whatever dollar amount it is, you get much less for it here than anywhere else in the country, which means your standard of living here is much lower. The things we consider luxury here are normal or even lower class in the suburbs. Like you have a car, you have two cars, you can live in a neighborhood with a swimming pool. Like you can do all those things very easily on One average salary in the suburbs in a state that's not overrun with um, bad politics and oppressive taxes. But in New York, that's luxurious. On Long Island, that's luxurious. Like, you have a pool? No way. But in Florida, that's kind of normal. That's standard. Now, at the same time, the reality is New York also is the most densely packed with opportunities of any place on the planet. We have more opportunities here than in the suburbs, in rural Florida, in all these other places. So it has these, these pros and cons to it. Now that will lead us into our next slide, which is the general overview, the general overview. So I want to we'll spend most of our time here on this slide. Uh, number one: first off, know yourself. know yourself, which is why I talked about my own background earlier. Um, because in my experience and, and so seeing like, okay, this is where I was raised. This is what I've grown up doing. And this is what I've done since then. I can know like certain career paths, certain side hustles are a good fit. And certain things are not a good fit. And so you you need to do that for yourself. You need to know who am I. You need to be realistic about that and plan accordingly. So you need to find the people closest to you. By the way, this concept of knowing yourself is very biblical. Think of Romans 12. It says, think about yourself with sober judgment. So talk to your roommates, talk to your family, talk to your siblings or coaches or teachers. Get them to tell you what you're good at and bad at. Again, in church analogy, where you got like that lady who wants to sing the solo once a month and she can't sing on key and nobody has the heart to tell her, hey, you're terrible. So they're putting up with this, and then she thinks like, oh no, when I was a child, my mom told me I had talent, and so I need to do this, and then trying to make a career out of it. You need people in your life who will be honest with you, who will tell you what you're good at and what you're bad at. They also, You need people in your life who will tell you, if you're really naive, if you're prone to getting scammed, you need to know that, you need to adjust course. So, think with me about this very practical test. Can you tell when people are lying? Can you tell when people are being sarcastic? Are you super empathetic? Are you filled with a heart of mercy? Or do you have the gift of discernment? You have the gift of discernment or the gift of mercy. Both don't usually occupy the same mind. You're usually one or the other. You usually have like a really keen eye and critical thinking, or you have a really soft spot, soft spot for the hurting. But they're not usually in the same, in the same worldview. Entrepreneurship is not for everybody. If you're just like a really nice person, you believe everybody, you're really gullible, you should not be an entrepreneur. You're going to get taken advantage of. The gift of discernment is much better for business owners and entrepreneurship than the gift of mercy, unless, of course, your business is the business of mercy, in which case you will need someone who's cutthroat and shrewd in order to work with you also, the idea of shrewdness, that is also biblical. It is taught in Scripture that you need to be, uh, the shrewd manager is praised in the Scripture. You need to understand what's happening in the world around you so that you are not taken advantage of. Because if you are taken advantage of, you can't provide for your family, which that makes you worse than an unbeliever. So that's number one, know yourself. Number two. Don't fall for scammers and avoid MLMs like the plague. Now, I want to say obviously, there are some MLMs, multi level marketing, there are some MLMs that actually sell a real product. But I've seen some that will sell you the opportunity to sell others the opportunity to sell others the opportunity to sell the opportunity to have a vacation package. And every person that you get to sign up for this monthly low, low cost of $250, you'll receive a kickback of $100. And then your boss will receive a kickback of $50. And then his boss will get a kickback of $25. And this this cycle, just it's a pyramid scheme. And it just goes on and on and on. Don't do that. Don't join those. Why? The Bible says it's sinful to be a fool. Don't be a fool. The Bible commands us to be wise. Now, all that being said, if you want to buy shampoo on a subscription network marketing program from your cousin, be my guest, because shampoo is a real product. And if you have this monthly subscription where the shampoo is getting mailed to you and your cousin's getting four bucks a month out of it, whatever, I don't care, that's fine. But you have to be discerning. You have to know the difference between a scam and something that's real make sure that you're actually getting the product that you're supposed to be getting and not just a recurring bill and not just the opportunity to get the product. So those are my two things to say overall because the whole network marketing thing, the people who run those are all over New York and they prey upon people who are naive. They prey upon people who have these ideas of like, oh, I'm going to start my own business, but there's nothing your own about it. Except your own money going out the door. So rather than taking that approach, that is not entrepreneurship, that is just getting scams. I would encourage you to get a real job. This is point three. Get a real job and save every penny. As Mark has been saying, there's amazing job market right now. Every place under the sun is hiring. So you get a job and then save your extra, save every penny that you can. And then number four, start your side hustle with the money that you've saved while you maintain your real job. So think with me, what are you skilled at? What are you good at? What what can you do? Everybody has various, whether it be spiritual gifts or just practical things that you can do. What do you know? Do you have a special hobby or interest? What do you love? What are you passionate about? The next thing I think is important, because in the the younger generation, I'm talking like age 14 to 30, we're really into the idea of following your passion. Like, I've got to have a dream and a career that I'm really passionate about. I want to say, first off, you don't have to be passionate about your industry. You just don't. That's not necessary. But you can bring your passion to your industry. But... I would also recommend thinking about it. And if you hate the thought of what you're looking at doing, maybe you should not do that. It is completely passionate. It is completely legitimate to say, hey, I am really passionate about paying my rent and putting food on the table. And so because of that, I'm doing the following thing. Like, that's real, that's legitimate, that's God honoring to work with your hands and provide for your family and live a quiet, peaceable life. Like, that's in the Bible. Now, back to my personal story. My family has run two fairly successful businesses. The first was a coupon service, and the second was a fabric company. These two are both very different from each other. And yes, some people, some strange people, like coupons and like fabric. But that's not the important thing when you're going to start a business. It's not, hey, am I passionate about coupons and passionate about fabric? That's irrelevant. What matters is that these were industries where there was an opportunity to turn a profit and to provide a valuable good or service to the customer. And so because of that, you could make money on these things. So... I have a few ideas for side hustles, which if you're looking to start a side hustle, you could just Google this for yourself, find your own lists of of opportunities. But these are some things that come immediately to mind as ways that you can, if if you are of this inclination to start a side hustle. Oh, all, the, the elephant in the room in this whole thing is like probably half our church is facing job loss because of certain mandates. So... If you work for yourself, you're not under that. If you work for yourself, you make up your own rules about what your employees are required to do, especially if you have an employee of one. So the first thing would be photography. Wedding photographers make a ton of money. Obviously, you have to have a fairly high level of skill. But I know a lot of people with that, high, that level of skill who they can make a lot of money with that. You can do headshots, you can do graduation photos, you can do baby pictures, you can do all kinds of things. And in New York City, there is incredible demand for a really good photographer who can do the job. Secondly, music. You can teach lessons. There's a lot of rich kids on the Upper East Side and Upper West Side whose parents will pay for anything for these children. And if you can teach piano or violin or flute Or voice or whatever, you can teach lessons. You can also make video content. You can have a YouTube account or a TikTok. You can build a following. You can get sponsors. You can make ad revenue. If you watch the film called The Social Dilemma, you will understand the inner workings of social media. If you watch The Social Dilemma, it explains how social media works and what makes it addictive. If you understand that, then you can understand how you can make addictive content, how you can make money as a content creator. Um, Number four, babysitting. If you're great with kids, very responsible, and others focused, and you've grown up changing diapers... This could be a path for you. Now, don't do this if you've never changed a diaper or if you've never made a frozen pizza. You have to also, beyond this, know your market value. You have to know your worth. Know yourself. Know how much what you're bringing to the table is worth. You can then increase your market value through additional skills, such as teaching ability. This is the world of virtual schooling and things like that. You can be the one who is... is is not only babysitting, but also teaching the kids they're working with them on their homework. Uh, you can learn a language, be multilingual. That also significantly raises your income potential as a babysitter. You can add services such as cooking, homeschooling, math tutoring, etc. All of these things could potentially raise your value and your price as a babysitter. Beyond that, we have social media. I'll just say straight up, don't be a lifestyle blogger. You're not the Kardashians. Unless, of course, you are the Kardashians. But if you actually have a skill, take that skill to social media. For example, thinking of Alexa here, you could solve math problems on video. You could literally do math homework on videos and get millions of people watching this. You could have calculator companies doing ads on your math videos. And because your your tar- your video is so niche, it's so focused, those are the ones that make... The best revenue. The next one I've got is fitness. There's coaching. You could have clients. You can say, hey, I'm a fitness junkie. I'm at the gym all the time. I'm going to coach other people to do this too. You can make videos of doing this and have the same, the same um, pipeline for social media. You can do private coaching. You can teach people at Planet Fitness. Like there's a lot of people doing crazy stuff at Planet Fitness that desperately need someone to come to them and say, hey, that's not how you use a treadmill. That's not how you use an elliptical. Let me show you how to do this without hurting yourself. Number seven, real estate. This is the most classic and traditional way to be a self-made millionaire, but it is very difficult in New York City. Generally, you'll need to start in a different market, such as New Jersey or Pennsylvania, because it's just way too expensive here. The barrier for entry is way too high. Uh, number eight, learn ways that you can make money on Amazon. They have uh, Fulfilled by Amazon, FBA. So you can find some factory in uh, China through Alibaba and order like a pallet of measuring cups and have them sent to Amazon, Amazon Factory, and then get your photos up there and list the product. It takes a bit of money to do that, but if you've got game, if you've got determination, if you're like a very dedicated, skillful person, you can do that sort of thing. You can write and sell books on Amazon. You can write and sell coloring books on Amazon. You can sell notebooks on like blank line paper with a fun little cover on it. You can do that. Now, you're not going to make a ton of money, but you'll make like 30% of the sale price. And if you're thinking in terms of generating multiple streams of income and passive income, that is a route you can go. You can create t-shirt designs and sell them. You sell the t-shirts. You never have to touch a single one of them. You just put the whole thing on Amazon, and Amazon will print and sell the t-shirt and send you like three or four bucks out of the 20 that you sold it for. Amazon also has affiliate marketing. So let's say that you want to start a blog or a... um, YouTube channel called you know, Theological Book Reviews by, by Anais. And so you want to start your theological book review channel and you say, hey, Andy, can I borrow like 10 books? And I say, sure. So you take these 10 books, you read the first one, you make a 10 minute video because it has to be 10 minutes to make money on it. You make your 10 minute video and then review the book. And then in the bottom of your video, you have a link to buy the book on Amazon, and you make a percentage of the profit through that affiliate link. Beyond that, we have blogging, podcasting, um, learning about the stock market, which I'm not even going to try and talk about because I don't know stuff about that. Um, number 11, learn about NFTs. You can talk to Luke about NFTs. Um, also follow Gary V on YouTube. Gary V is just this fountain of ideas. He also curses like a sailor, so just be aware of that. So all of this I would put broadly under for the one who's saying, "Andy, this is really unspiritual." Say, "No, it's really spiritual to provide for your family." It is a very godly thing to work with your hands and provide for your family. It is a godly thing to work with your hands, provide for your family, and support your church and to have your church exist. Because here's a secret. If enough people move away as people move away from New York, if, if too many people move away from New York in one year, the church closes. So you've got to have a good foundation within the church in order to ride those waves, the ups and downs that come with the natural flow of being in New York, where about 30% of your church is supposed to move away and move in every year. That's just the standard for church planners. So, Um, on our main points, point number five, grow your side hustle till it replaces your real job. This will most likely involve scaling up. So let's say you're selling the t-shirts or the notebooks or the whatever it may be. You're going to have to increase the volume significantly because if you're making three bucks a shirt, you got to sell a lot of shirts. Um, my family's business, the coupon business, literally I I tell Emma all the time, like it was nickels that put me through college like five cents at a time because we were selling a product that cost five cents. We sold millions and millions of coupons over a 20-year period. And that was the approach. So you know your product, you know your market and scale accordingly. If you're a wedding photographer and you charge like $3,000 per wedding, you obviously don't have to do as many as if you are selling, creating and selling t-shirts. But you have to scale up if you're starting with these small things. And the next thing I need to talk about is knowing your value. This is connected to know your worth, knowing yourself, know your value. This personally, last week I said, I'll talk about some mistakes I've made. One of the major mistakes I made was, let's just talk as a, as a child here, but also throughout my career. So Handy Andy's lawn service, I did not know my, the price tag realistically, what's it going to cost to cut this two and a half acre field of grass? If you're going to call some random guy from you found on Google, how much are you going to have to pay him? If you're going to have to pay him $250, pay him that. I should not be charging 40 bucks because if I break a belt on the lawnmower, which I did as a child, that belt costs 50 bucks. So, That was a thing. I didn't understand that because I was 11 years old. But, (laughs) thank you, Chris. (laughs) But (laughs) I want you to understand you need to know your worth, know your cost, know the market value, know what this is worth. But also recognize, like, is it actually worth that amount or am I doing half the job of the other guy? Now, it may totally be that as an 11-year-old, you're cutting the grass just as well as the 32-year-old, but it also might not be the case too. So that's where you have to know yourself and understand, just like start off with your piece of paper and say, hi, my name is Andy and I am however old you are. If you're 10 years old, if you're 15 years old, if you're 35 years old, like know yourself, know your place and what your role is. How much money do you need to make? How much money do you have to make to live where you're planning on living or where you're currently living? Set your prices realistically. Know your price tag. Know your worth. Know how much your goods and services are worth in the real world. You might think that it's an honorable thing to to say, oh, I'm giving them a deal. I'm only charging 40 bucks to cut the grass on this field. It's worth $250. You're actually being foolish. You might think you're being nice, but that's foolish. Like I said, the belt, if it breaks, costs 50. So... You need to think about those things when you're setting your prices for your own businesses and industries. Uh, Provide an equal or better product and command a competitive price. Um, If you're good and if you're needed, you'll make money. People will pay you if you've got the goods. Now, lastly, I want to say this is one model. This is not the only model, but this is the model I've seen, I've lived, I've done this, um, Whether it's personally through church where it's like, hey, we start small and we grow gradually and scale up where you start as a house church with three people and you grow up through 10 people, 15 people, 20 people. Now you're too big. You have to be an outdoor church. We were a patio church for like a year. And then the next step is, well, we got to get a bigger space. Now it's going to cost more money. That same thing applies for anything like the Waddell's are going through this right now with the, the daycare stuff. Like, to get that larger facility is going to take more money. We have to factor those things in. Otherwise, you're stuck. As a church, you're stuck as a living room church unless you make difficult decisions and you budget accordingly and you save accordingly in order to level up to the next thing, whatever it may be. Um Another model is the start big model, which I referenced at the beginning, which is, you know, the large seed money that church planters get, uh, or in the business world, they call them angel investors, where the idea is you're going to just kind of start big. You're going to, you know, rent a factory or a warehouse and build your product in mass and you're going to market it, spend hundreds or millions, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in advertising. That's another approach. I have no experience with that whatsoever, so... You can talk to somebody else about that. Now, on our last slide, we have what I would call action steps. Proverbs 14, 23 says, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. I can be this way sometimes. I, I'm a guy with a million ideas. And I'll talk about an idea, and I'll think about an idea for years. I, I'll have idea like I've got this uh, seminary vision thing. It's been in my head now for like eight years. And I'm working on a long-term path to make it happen. But if, it's, if your plan is only talk, it's never going to go anywhere. So you've got to take action. So my practical advice would be, would be to create cohorts or the buddy system. Think about accountability partners. Think about group chats. Find somebody. Don't try and get everybody. Just have like one other person who is in this or pursuing this. One other person who's a little ahead of you and you want to be where they are. So I have this for for fitness. I started going to the gym again like a week ago. And I have an accountability partner who I text every day except Saturday and Sunday. And say, hey, this is what I did. And if I don't do it, that person will ask me. Because they are more committed to this than I am. They are further ahead of me than I am. And you need that. You need that in efforts and endeavors. Now, the last thing that needs to be said is you've got to study first. You need to learn before you leap. Not all education needs to be of the four-year kind with lots of money involved. You can learn anything you need pretty much for free on the internet, but you're not necessarily going to get a piece of paper that says that you know that. But in entrepreneurship, it doesn't matter. Regardless, you have to know your stuff. Find a mentor who has had success in your desired field. In the church thing, that's what I did. I had a mentor who was a pastor and missionary in the Middle East, in Uzbekistan. Uh, He had been. He was retired from that. But he had gone into Uzbekistan right after the Iron Curtain fell, like 1992, 1993. There was one known Christian in a region of 8 million people So, a city the size of New York, and 20 years later, they had seen 8,000 credible converts. It was illegal to convert to Christianity. If you converted, your family could kill you with the blessing of the state. People were not allowed to know where the church met. You couldn't attend the church until you'd been baptized as a Christian, because to do that meant to plant your flag and say, hey, I'm on team Jesus, and I might die. So, In that environment, in that level of resistance and hardness and oppression, he went from one Christian to about 8,000 Christians in about 20 years. So when I met that man, who's real, like I had had seen him speak before, I'd seen him at conferences, and then I met him in real life, and he offered to mentor me, I said, well, yes, please, (laughs) that will be very helpful, because if it works... I hate pragmatism, but you've got to think about at least some level of is this working or is this not working? If it works in the Middle East or Central Asia as they call it, I think I think we'll be okay in New York. So that's the he he we ended up developing this mentoring relationship where he would we'd do Zoom calls once a month and just coaching me on what to do. And then we hit a point where it was like, okay, what's next? And he said, just keep doing what you've been doing, you've established the roadmap. Now just repeat it for twenty years. And I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, I guess, uh, I guess that's that." So anyway, that's that's uh, the background for the the model that we're on here. Now, I'm I'm big on being a lifetime learner. Like, there's a reason I'm almost done with my fourth degree because I, I'm a huge believer in learning for a lifetime. But that doesn't mean that. Your learning for a lifetime has to be that specific way. Conferences are great. I listen to tons of sermons every week. I'm constantly learning and trying to to grow. I have new mentors now that um, can help advise me on new areas and new things that I had never even thought of before. But those are not the most basic level things. So, that's what I've got. Do you guys have any questions or things you want to chat about. It's 1022. So we have time for like one or two questions. I'm full of ideas. So if you want to chat and be like, Hey, Andy, I work at Starbucks and I don't want to work at Starbucks for forever, but I also don't have money or time to go to college and get a degree. We can chat. Cause I have, I have ideas for like half the people in this room, but, um, I don't want to, put them on people because that's not my job. So I saw a hand. Yes. Um, just about MLM, so yeah. Rift, so you um, like, what was it called? Lula, Roe. Lula Roe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah So. Well, yeah, marketing absolutely helps yeah and in social media you can do target marketing um someone for those who don't know our church went viral like eight days ago because of a little flyer that i printed up and it got like uh organic shares, like people just sharing the thing. And there were some critics saying like, well, why is there a hook at the top? It sounds like it's marketing. Like, yeah, it's called a flyer. A flyer is supposed to attract your attention. Like you want to read it. There's a reason that one document wasn't written in like six point font with the entirety of the London Baptist Confession printed on it because you can't read that so you have to have something about it that makes you want to read that so that's marketing is is important and with social media you can literally target your ads like we could create a ta- an ad based on that same thing and target it to people who have checked in at a certain location or a certain church or whatever so that they see this these words tired of woke churches you can do that you can target it towards you know males age 18 to 23 and a half and have a very specific target for your thing. Um, And that's how like your ads will cost a certain amount of money per click. But yeah. Any other questions? Again, you don't have to start with tons of money. You can literally start with like $5. And if you don't have the $5, talk to me. All right, let's let's uh, let's close with prayer. Lord, I thank you for giving us the gift of work, the responsibility to work, to provide for our families. Help us to think seriously and soberly about the world in which we live, the world which um, will require a lot of creative thinking in the future, especially as, as so many people across the New York City area will be forced out of their jobs due to all of these uh, oppressive regulations and mandates that we're seeing come down, uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us not to be simple-minded in thinking that the only thing that matters is our belief about the gospel, but that we would recognize that it is also important how we steward the gifts and responsibilities that you've given to us. Um, help us to think with sober judgment. Help us to think wisely. Help us not to be fools. Lord, I pray that when we stand before you, you will be pleased with us because we have sought to honor you in every aspect of our lives, and I pray that you would guard us and keep us and protect us. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.